Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. All right, you have to wait for that last little second to go off before they come online. So great for all of you worshiping with us online. We're so glad for all of you here. If we haven't met, I'm Chip Freed, the lead teaching pastor here. And man, I don't know about you, but I'm a little full this morning. Um, when Jordan said, I know you will fill me, I've just felt God's spirit filling me. And I'm so glad he was. I'm so glad that was so uplifting. And I'm so glad Theron took us up lifting because it's all downhill from here. It really is. This is a heavy message, man. Uh, you're not going to like it. The person that Jesus gave it to didn't like it. But, but we're just going to jump in the deep end of the pool together. Before we do, we have, I was told we have a couple family reunions here today. The Fowler family's here. Are y'all, no, don't just wave your hands. All right. Fowler family's here. And the Link family reunion's here. I know there are many families linked together. Uh, linked together, but that, that's word. And, and your family's part of uh, uh, Kenya, our uh, children and family pastor. I'm so glad uh, you're part of your family reunion is uh, being here, being in worship. I know it sounds corny, but it's, you know, corny things are true. The family that prays together, right, stays here. They asked uh, Terry and I, because we're, we're still profoundly in love, how have you guys, in spite of all the challenges of you know, being an interracial marriage back in the 80s when 10% of America was in favor of that. Thank God today, 92%'s in favor of that. Okay, but wait a minute. Okay, wait a minute. I'm always looking for that other 8%, man. I, I was a college point guard. I got good peripheral vision. You, you will not get behind me. Um, but hey, but Satan, you will get behind me. Um, but it's so good that you're here and celebrating that, and we want to celebrate with you. You stumbled in on a wonderful sermon series, man. I know you were hoping to come in and hear about joy and peace, and we're preaching about sin. Um, so sorry. Um, I can't change my message. But we've been looking at what tradition calls the seven deadly sins. Um, they're not in the Bible. I've been saying that every week. They're not in the Bible. Um, actually, they come out of Greek philosophy, to be honest with you. Now, it's not that these sins aren't addressed in the Bible, and that's what I talk about. But how this came about into church tradition was, in the ancient Greek philosophy, Plato and Aristotle, they had what they believed to be virtues and vices. Virtues are the virtuous life that we were supposed to lead, um, and vices were the things that derailed us. And so a fourth century monk, very influenced by Greek philosophy, looked at what are the vices that derail us from the virtuous life that God wants us to live. And so he came up with seven, and seven's an important number. If you've been around here, I've taught you seven means something in the Bible. It means completion or perfection. God created the world in seven days. Is that literal? Who cares? It was the point, it was the story was seven, perfection. When Peter got mad and said to Jesus, how many times when people offend me in the church, not just out there in the world, do I have to forgive? He goes, seven times, like, you know, all the time, every day. And Jesus takes a number up to offend. He goes, way more than every day. So this is an important number. And so he looked at seven 
sins, seven that he called, uh, that are deadly to us in our journey with God. Nobody heard about it until Pope Gregory the uh, Great in the 6th century. He read this stuff and he canonized it. So it became part of church tradition. So that's why people think it's biblical, like the seven deadly sins or like the Ten Commandments. No, it came out of this kind of a tradition. And then St. Thomas Aquinas perfected it. And then Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt in the movie Seven, they let us all know, like it's real. Um, so we got these, these seven deadly sins. And last week, uh, Pastor Steve and I were up here on stage. We had kind of fun doing a tag team. And we talked about, on these, on these lists, sometimes the order changed. And even on the first two lists, one of the words changed. I don't know if that means there's eight deadly sins. You go home and sleep on that one. But, but in every list, the final one, uh, perfected by St. Thomas Aquinas, pride was always number one. See, because the sin beneath the sin beneath all the sins is we want to be our own Savior and Lord. We are self-absorbed. We are self-centered. We're not God-centered. I, I know, just look straight ahead and fake like I'm preaching to the person next to you. But I'm telling my story, okay? I know the selfishness, the enemy that's in me. And that pride can emerge in so many different ways. And it's interesting to see how it infiltrates all the other ones. And so today I'm talking about greed. And greed is similar to pride. Greed is this sense, like I said last week, pride is a sense of oldness. I'm owed something. I am the captain of my faith. You know, I'm the master of my faith, the captain of my soul. That always sounds good <laughs> until you try it in real life, right? And, 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 and greed is that same thing. I'm owed stuff. So everything that comes my way, I deserve it. And I, and I can't get enough of it. Right? And more. And, and greed is interesting because greed, like the other seven deadly sins, and that's why we're not just talking about, you know, these on the top, but deep down, what's infiltrating our hard drive, what's affecting us that shows up in different ways. And um, greed is one of those that hides. In fact, um, by definition, the sin that's affecting your life the most is usually the one you can't see. And nobody sees greed. Like, I, I talked to Reverend Gisselbeck. He was our visitation pastor. He's, he's been ordained 60 years in ministry, married like 61. I mean, I've been in ministry 33 years, married 35. I feel like a rookie, you know. And, and I went to him one time, and I was talking to him. I said, you know, Reverend Gisselbeck, I said, I want to ask you something. In my 33 years of ministry, I have had people come into my office and confess sins. I mean, lots of stuff. I've had people come in and confess affairs, chip, I'm, I'm having adultery, I'm cheating on my spouse. I've had people come in and, and confess about embezzling money, you know, like committing corporate uh, fraud. I've had people come in and uh, never had anybody, you know, come in and confess murder. I'd have to report them if they did. But I had plenty of people that came in and said, I want to murder. Like, and I'll tell you who I want to murder, you know, uh, all kind of stuff. Not once in my 33 years of ordained ministry has anybody ever come into my office and said, Chip, I think I'm dealing with greed. Not once. And I asked Reverend Gisselbeck, hey, and, and, you know, you're double my time. Does that ever happen with you? Never happened. See, that's a problem. And, and I looked at some research, and I just want to put this before you before we dig into the scripture. But Zogby Analytics, if you know Zogby, they're an analytic firm that a lot of corporate America uses. And they conducted a benchmark pool in which responded were asked, what is the number one most urgent problem in American culture? This was the corporate arena. And number one going away, they said, was greed and materialism. 
I mean, poverty and social justice were far down the list. That's corporate America. Where greed is rampant. And they said, yeah, we realize this is the number one problem. In 2014, Vanity Fair uh, looked at the movie Wall Street. Anybody remember that one? I always worry about millennials here. My wife says, your illustrations are getting so corny. I'm going to use one from The Sound of Music later. So millennials, you're going to have to Google that, Sound of Music. I understand it. I'm old, okay? I'm sorry. Um, but, but Vanity Fair looked at that Wall Street, Michael Douglas. Remember he got up, Gordon Gecko, and he gave the speech, greed. It's good, remember? And Vanity Fair posted it, and they asked who in America agrees with this. Only 19% of America said they agreed with that concept that greed is good. Over 80% said no, right? Um, and uh, recently, The Economist, I've been Googling all kinds of stuff, because, you know, if it's on the internet, it has to be true. Um, and anyhow, that was a joke. Um, that was for all QAnon they're watching today. Anyhow, um, so... Basically, I did this, this Google search about seven deadly sins. I found out The Economist recently did a poll, not long ago, like within the last year, on the seven deadly sins. And they asked um, to rank what you think are the worst to the last deadliest sins. And you know, by far and away, in this recently, greed was number one. I mean, everybody knows that greed's in the problem. The problem is that nobody thinks that they have it. That, that's the problem, right? Um, BBC did a poll recently also, a little longer than the other one. And they did a poll also on the seven deadly sins. And uh, they asked them to answer two questions. Which of the seven deadly sins have you ever committed? And which sin have you committed in the last month? And far and away, the last one was greed. So everybody knows it's a problem, just nobody has it. All my physicist friends and psychological friends, like something doesn't equate, right? And it was interesting, in that poll, many people uh, cop to being lazy, proud, envious, and angry, but greedy, seven out of seven on the list. Tim Keller, a great American prophet and preacher who I admire, just passed away recently. And he wrote an article where he said, even though it's clear that the world is filled with greed and materialism, almost no one thinks it's true of them. Greed always hides itself from the victim. And that's why Jesus says in Luke 12, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Because your life, my life, does not consist in the abundance of stuff. Right? And so we get to today's uh, case study, uh, and it really is about um, this rich young ruler, um, this person that comes uh, in front of, of Jesus. And it's a very important encounter. All the gospel writers tell it. In fact, uh, when, when Matthew, Mark, Luke tell the same uh, story, they're saying this is really important because they don't always include it. But there's something in this case study that they feel all of us need to know. And it's a very uncomfortable one. I mean, Jesus kind of roughs this guy up a little bit. He sends him packing. It's not like Jesus. So something's up. Right? And, and, and what's happening is he, Jesus knows that beneath the surface, there's more going on, okay, than just what's manifesting itself. See, we always want to talk about sins, especially preachers. We love that. We love to talk about sins so long as it's not the ones that are affecting us. Really? We are so selective up here. Whenever you hear a preacher give a sin list, just look at what they leave off. That's what I do to have fun. Gotcha. 
right? Um, Jesus isn't concerned about sins. I know that goes counterculture, what you've been taught from the pulpit. He doesn't. He wants to get beneath the surface and see what's poisoning the water hole. He talks about sin, which is different than sins. Sins are manifestations of something that's going on deep down in the boiler room of your soul. And I love that in this encounter, Jesus names, you ever heard the elephant in the room? He names the camel in the room. See, in Jesus' day and age, they didn't know there was elephants in the world. The largest land animal they knew was camels. And Jesus said, I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person, a greedy person, not just money. It can be, it can be greedy for affection. It can be greedy for uh, power, all kinds of things. It's harder for a person like that, uh, that, that's seeking to accumulate, to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. So the largest land animal and the smallest thing at that time that humans had created answered that, could be the Lord. Then, just seriously, if he's telling me, tell something different, I'll listen. Uh, Camel to go through an eye of a needle, then for someone who is rich, turn to the kingdom of God. What's going on here? This is what's called a metaphor of impossibility. And what is Jesus saying? Oh, rich people can't get into the kingdom. That can't be true. Because there were many many saints who were heroes in the kingdom. Abraham, Sarah, Jacob, Leah, Rachel, uh, David, Solomon, and Job in the the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, uh, Lydia of Macedonia. They were extremely wealthy, and they were in the kingdom of God. Why is this guy excluded? And why is he saying it's difficult? He's saying because there's something deeper under the surface. It's not money, it's not wealth, it's not fame, it's not those things. It's something deeper. It's a desire, uh, an out-of-balance desire for those things. And if you have that, it's almost impossible for you to get in. But then Jesus says the good news is what's impossible for you. It's still possible for God. And I think the whole encounter comes to this verse. Um, where, did, oh, where did the verse go? Oh, they say they should never give me this thing. Okay, it, I didn't get the right slide. I, this is the old one. So the, the other one said, Jesus said, if you wish to be perfect, right? If you wish to be perfect, go sell and give. And you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when the young man heard this word, he went away grieving. Okay? Oh, I thought it might. No, it's not up there. I thought they might have snuck it in. Um, so this word of be perfect means um, to be complete, to be fulfilled. Not that we're perfect in you know, our performance. We're never that. But we're finding completeness. And the word for uh, you know, going away grieving, which is what this guy did, grief meant a lack of peace at the center. So Jesus wanted a man to be whole, but he went away empty. Jesus wanted to bring him joy and peace he'd been looking for. And he went away grieving. So the lesson from the story, and I'm going to fly through these because I see I'm uh, way down on my shot clock here, um, is why did this guy go away grieving? The first thing, he went away grieving because he thought his salvation was up to him. See, what did he say? Good master, good teacher, what must I? (laughs) What must I? Right? He's starting with himself. Gardner Taylor, I studied with a pillar of civil rights, he used to say to us, I is always too small a pronoun to carry the weight of the gospel. It's too, it's too much. The Bible says everywhere. In fact, the guy goes up and says, good teacher. He said, why are you calling me good? He says, see, you just want to be in the top school in the top of your class and think I've got the... He said, no one is good except God alone. 
right? It's impossible. Everywhere in the Bible says this, and I hope you can hear this. I know this cuts a little bit, but that's good. Everywhere in the Bible says it's impossible for you to be good enough to earn your salvation. It's impossible. That's why Paul says none is righteous, no, not one. And Paul was a perfectionist. Nobody followed the law except, you know, better than Paul, except Jesus. And he found out that, you know, I can't do it well enough. And here's the key. If every, if, if, if it's impossible for any of us to achieve our own salvation, that means that our salvation is a miracle. It's not a trophy to be earned. It's a miracle to be received. And this guy had forgotten that. He thought it was all about him. And in fact, that's why he says, look, you know, I've, I've followed all the Ten Commandments. I've done all the good things. You know, I'm, I'm rich and wealthy. And in that day and age, they thought that was a gift of God, right? And, and Jesus said, you're not only, he said, you know, I'm just trying to climb the mountain. I just need a little help. He said, not only are you not, you know, don't just need a little help. He said, you're on the completely wrong road. And you're far from the kingdom because you think it's about you. And G went a great grieving because Jesus smashed his religious views. He smashed them. All of us come with two religious views. They, they were in this day and they are still today. Two religious views is one, the gospel, what I'm looking for, what I'm lacking, right? To be saved and right with God is something I can add, okay? And the second thing is the gospel is something I can do. And basically, Jesus destroyed both of those. See, the guys coming to Jesus said, Jesus, I just need a little help. Like, I've, I've been a good person, I'm a good son, I'm a good citizen, I, you know, I, I'm respected in my community, I'm even a little humble enough to come to church and say maybe there's something missing. Like, this is the guy every pastor's looking for, man. We put him on finance committee, you know, it's like, oh, you know, why does Jesus send him packing? Because he said, I'm not a vitamin supplement. I'm not another book to put on your shelf. I'm not an app to another book to put it on your phone. Do you know who it is you're talking for? You don't come to me to add a little thing. You don't need one more rung to get over the mountain. You need what I have where you can say to the mountain, be flung into the hearts of the sea. I'm not here to help you up the mountain. I'm here to obliterate the mountain and reform your entire life. I'm not a little something for you to add. That's why I love with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is rich ruler 2.0. Like he's very rich. He's, he's the most biblical scholar of the land. Nobody knows the law bearer Nicodemus. He's humble. All of his counterparts are condemning Jesus. But he says, I see something good in him. He goes to Jesus. And he said the same thing. Jesus, what do I need? You know, here I am. Uh, I, I, I need just a little bit more. He said, uh, um, what am I lacking? And Jesus says, just about everything. So you need to be born again. And Nicodemus said, wait a minute. You mean I got to climb up into my mother's womb and start over? And Jesus said, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. See, Jesus is not something to be at. He's a revolution. He's coming to reform our lives. It's not something to say, well, how can I be a little more efficient now? Jesus said, no, I came to give you a whole new program. Don't you dare try to add me to your phone. Don't you dare try to put me on your shelf. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection life. You're not just going to add me. I am who created you. So the second, the second one is we think it's something I must do. What must I do? I love this. You've got to be a biblical scholar to catch this. Honestly, 33 years I've preached on this brother, and I've missed it. 
He says, Jesus, what must I do? And Jesus says, oh, go obey the Ten Commandments. And you go, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Jesus. Because if you keep reading, he's been saying, if you obey the Ten Commandments, this is what he's been telling the Pharisees. You obey the Ten Commandments, that's not going to get you into salvation. So why does he tell this guy, oh, just go obey the Ten Commandments? Because he's a wonderful counselor, man. He sets this brother up and he falls for it. He does. I mean, before this story, Jesus had talked about the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector right before this story in Luke. And he said that he was preaching to the Pharisees. Here's a Pharisee, a righteous person in the law, and a tax collector. And they go into the temple. Tax collectors were Ponzi scam artists, Nazi collaborators. They were horrible. And they go into the temple to pray. And the Pharisee prayed like this. I. <laughs> when they all start with I, you're in trouble. The Lord's Prayer doesn't say me, but my Abba, my my father, my, my God, right? I thank you, God, that you made me who I am, that I have always obeyed you. I have followed the, the, all the commandments. I belong to the right political party. It's in there. You know, I, I've, I've done all these things, and I'm not like that guy over there. See, whenever you're more concerned about somebody else's sins than your own sin, you're going to go home grieving. Right? Because you're looking for the pollution in others and not understanding the pollution in your own heart. You're thinking other people are contaminating you in the world and you don't realize the contamination that you are producing yourself. That's why Jesus said, why do you look at a speck in your neighbor's eyes and you don't realize you have a two by four hanging out of your own eye? But see, when you think of something I do, it's my performance and my achievement, you're always going to hate your brother and sister. And the word says, how can you hate your brother and sister who you can see and claim to love God who you cannot see? You actually hate God because you think it's up to your achievement and up to your performance, right? And Jesus said, the other guy, a tax collector, he couldn't even lift his eye to heaven. He said, Lord, mercy. Be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, this is before this story. He went home perfect. He went home justified. He went home filled and the Pharisee went home grieving. So if he said you can't be saved by the Ten Commandments, why is he setting this guy up? Because the guy, he jumped right in. Oh, that's how to be saved? Bingo. I've done that even since my youth. Even since youth group. I'm still, you know, the, the, the quarterback of the future. I'm still doing everything right. I always honor my father and mother. I've never murdered. I've never killed. I, I've never smoked or drank or chewed or gone with girls who do. I've done everything I was taught. You know, I've been there, done right, uh, everything right. And, uh, and Jesus says, oh, really? <laughs> He's such a wonderful counselor. He said, I'll tell you one thing you do lack. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. What's he doing? He's saying, oh, you think you follow the Ten Commandments? What's the first commandment? Let's test you on that one. The Lord our God, the Lord is... Come on, class. You shall have no other gods before me. So why is it so hard for you to give up everything you had just because I said so? If I'm first in your life, do you have other gods in there? And see, if we think it's on our performance, we'll always go away grieving. And Jesus, the other reason he went away grieving is because Jesus got personal. 
He got personal. See, this guy thought, um, you know, he could figure this out. He just needed, uh, you know, one little solution. He thought this, the solution was academic or scientific. But I love what Mark says, and Mark's the original writer. And he said, Jesus, when he, this guy said to him, what, uh, you know, I've kept all these commandments. He said, Gee, before he went for the jugular <laughs> and cut him to the heart, it said Jesus looked at him and loved him. See, he said, I know what I'm about to say to you is going to hurt you. But you see, I am a great physician. And I can see the spiritual tumors in your heart. And I see what's literally ruining your life and squeezing God out from your life. And I'm going to go after that because I love you this much. See, Jesus made it personal. Uh, We think we have a behavioral problem. And the truth is we have a monster in our heart. And whatever it is that's separating you from God is what Jesus is going to attack when he shows up. That's what he'll do. That's the surgeon. Okay. Two more and I'm done. I got, I got five minutes, 58, 57, 56. Okay. Um, he went away grieving because he didn't understand treasures in heaven. Jesus said, just put me first and you have everything. You'll, be, you'll find fulfillment. You'll find what you've been lacking. you find what you've been looking for. And it's not in a book. And it's not in a bank account. And it's not in a new relationship. And it's not, you know, based on your waistline. It's, it, you're going to find it in me. And you're going to find out you're already spiritually rich. You have treasures in heaven. And see, we don't understand that. And I ran across an athlete. She's one of my favorite athletes now who discovered it. Her name is uh, Vanetta Flowers. Vanetta's there on the right. And Vanetta Flowers in February 19, 2002, set an Olympic world record with her teammate, Jill Backen. And they set it as the first American team to ever get a gold medal in the bobsled. See, I thought Jamaica always won that. I told that joke at Heritage, and they went, rent the movie. I knew you all had seen it. No, but it wasn't Jamaica or the U.S., but the U.S. won it. And what happened was, Vanetta, she was a renowned track and field star. From nine years old, she was recruited all over America. Her coaches said to her, you're going to be greater than Jackie Joyner-Kersey. And she said, I believed it. She flew into a scholarship at UAB, University of Alabama, Birmingham. She is, to this day, the most accomplished athlete in their Hall of Fame. And in 1996, she graduated from high school, and she was number one in the Olympic trials for the Summer Olympics, and she suffered an ankle injury and finished 13th, and she was devastated. And she said, why are you doing this to me? I've done all this hard work. I've done all this hard work. And she was devastated. Until a teammate said, I want you to start coming with me to church. And Vanetta started going to church. And in that time, she accepted Jesus Christ as first in her life, as her real coach, as her real mentor. And she said this. She said, "Um, before I became a Christian, I didn't think I was a bad person. I just found out I was a very, very lost person. And so she went back in 2000 to qualify for the Summer Olympics again, four years later, trained all the time. And had another ankle injury and couldn't compete. But she said, this time I wasn't devastated. And then in 2002, uh, she found out that the Winter Olympic team decided they wanted to recruit track and field athletes because their bobslayers were too slow. And they said, let's try that because U.S. has some speed. So she went and and tried bobsledding. And she got so good at it that one of the ranked people, uh, she made the the cut. And they said, I want you, one of the good drivers, to be my bobsledder, my breaker. And she got in there and they were training and she was feeling good. And then that driver dumped her. And she said... 
that used to would have killed me, but it didn't devastate me. And so then Jill Beckett, the number two driver in the world, said, hey, Vonder, would it be great if you come and do it with me? And so they began to train, and then as competitive and as the world would be, the number one driver in the world, two weeks before the Olympics, tried to sabotage it and called Vanetta and said, why don't you come be with me on the number one team? She said, I've already got a number one team. Why would I ever do that? And Vanetta and Jill ended up winning the Olympic bobsled for the first time in U.S. history. And they, they asked Vanetta about it, and she said, I found out God had a bigger race for me. She thought she'd be a track and field star with her own might and power. And God said, I love you so much, I want to be bigger than your dreams. And I'm going to put you on a different world. And I love, in her interview, she said, I have now put my faith in God first. And I've let him take over. Yes, I do my job of training. But I know that my true success or failure is always in your hands. Do you know, do you know you have treasures in heaven? So let's end with this one. How can we be freed from greed? See what I did there? See what I did there? It's all about me. It's all pride. See, I preach this stuff. I'm just no good at doing it, right? Now, but how do we be freed from greed? Here's something I'm going to tell you. Look to the true rich young ruler. You say, wait a minute, Chip, that rich young ruler in a story, he blew it. He seemed to love his money more than others. He held on to it. I wasn't talking about that rich young ruler. There's two rich young rulers in this story. There's the one who didn't get it yet, and I trust he may have gotten it later. The disciples didn't get it yet until after the resurrection. But Jesus was a true rich young ruler. He was 31 years old at the time. And he was very rich. He had the glory of heaven. He had everything. And yet he became poor. And he humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant. And I dream in my mind Jesus saying this. I wrote a little letter that I thought Jesus may have been saying to that young man, oh, my friend, I'm a rich young ruler too. Or at least I was. But for the love of people like you, I gave it all away. I let go of my glory. I became mortal. I've already been stripped of my glory, and now I'm heading into the depth of poverty. I'm going to this cross. Not just stripped of glory, but stripped of my friends, stripped of my garments, stripped of every single possession I have, stripped of my father's love, stripped of my very life. And I'm going to do it all for the love of you. You didn't love others enough to give your money away, but I love you so much that I'm giving up the most incredible wealth anyone's ever given up so you can have the only wealth that truly lasts, heavenly treasures, God himself. How do we get freed from pride and greed? We look at the true rich young ruler who gave everything up for us. And if you believe that, and if you understand that, you can start to be delivered from your pride and from your greed. And attention will just become attention. And money will just become money. And gold medals will just become gold medals. We used to sing in the old church. My grandma taught me. I came to Christ on her lap. She was a choir director for 38 years. Single mom. My grandfather went to prison during the Depression. Holding up a store. And a person got killed. He went to prison. And then you do that in a little small town like Canfield, Ohio back then. You're the wife. You're a scarlet letter. My grandma was a, night, a single mom in 1920, pregnant with my mom when that happened. And she never remarried, and she was the talk of the town. But she, delivered, she directed her choir and sang about Jesus for 38 years. You talk about somebody that knew God is first. 
It's not about me. And she brought me to faith, sitting on her lap, playing the songs of faith. And one of the songs we always used to sing was the old rugged cross. Some of you may know it. I will cling to the old rugged cross until at last my trophies I lay down. I'll cling to the old rugged cross and someday I'll exchange it for a crown. And if that's happened in your life, your money just becomes money and you'll be able to give it away and heal the world with it. And that's, that's the solution for greed. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that by his poverty you may become rich. Hey, I'm going to ask our tech team to come up here. I am such a disruptor. How many of you know that? Like I just messed up last week. Steve, come and preach with me and go up on stage. And I just hit the tech team this morning and poor Jordan and Tanisha and the worship team. We usually go to our connection pastors and then uh, have our um, worship team come out. I'm going to ask Jordan if you and the team can come out now. Um, And I want, instead of me praying, and bro, thank you for the way you've led us into the presence of God today. Really, all of you, all of you, all of you. If I preached any good, it was because of you guys. <laughs> but I got to tell you this morning, I always, I always marinate in the morning and then Saturday in whatever the worship team is going to sing. And um, so I want this last song to be the prayer, and then Leilani will send us out uh, from, the, from the connection table. But I noticed that Jordan had picked more than able. Um, the, the last time more than Abel was sang here, and you may not know this, Jordan, Tanisha, you remember, it was the first time it was ever sang here. It was the last time my son led worship on Mother's Day. Um, and he wanted to do this song. And whenever Matt would lead worship, he moved to Denver. I, I cry every night. I'm probably going to cry now. But he moved to Denver, and, um, and he said, Dad, I want to sing this song. What do you think about it? You know, more than able, and we would always go through stuff, and he would always sing to me everything he was going to sing the next day. I missed that so much. And um, I told him, Matt, you got to find a, a church in Denver to be a worship leader because you need to start singing to me again. Um, and he sang more than able, and I said, yeah, Matt, I think that would be great. First time I was ever sang here. And then he stopped, and he said to me, he said, Dad, I know... I know you and mom are really sad about me leaving. And he said, I'm sad too. And he said, dad, I'm a little scared. I don't have a job. I'm going to a new city. I'm starting a new life with my wife. He said, but you know what, dad? I just been thinking about this as I was singing this song. We need to remember it's not about us. We need to remember that God is more than able. So when we sing this song today and Jordan and Tanisha lead us, I want you to believe that it's not about you. And it's not about your brother and sister you're so quick to condemn and, and, and not see what's literally tearing at your very fabric of who you are and believe that God is able. Amen? Amen. Please. Amen.